Hello to my fellow humans with true crime obsessions. Welcome back to Crime Obsessed Dog Mom. I'm Michelle, the Crime Obsessed Dog Mom, with my co-host somewhere in my house. He's probably taking a nap because we went for a walk this morning. Um, but today we're going to take a look at our the very first Australian woman to be sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. Her name is Catherine Knight. Without further ado, cue the music. Cool, cool, cool. Welcome back. Welcome back. Hey, hey, yes. It's a sleepy Saturday here. Even though you won't hear this till Sunday or whatever day you're listening to this. But sleepy. I woke up. I was supposed to wake up at 9.30. My body was like 7.30. Let's go. Not happy. But it's kind of hot here. So we went for a long walk this morning with the dog. And it was nice. And that's why he's currently sleeping somewhere in my house. <laughs> he and he had a stressful day yesterday. Uh, so so uh, I have like a little desk area because I work from home and I have like this little shelf and it's been bothering me like how messy it's looked. And I was like, all right, I'm going to use my summer hour time. I'm going to, you know, a couple hours earlier than I normally do on Friday. I'm going to clean it out because it's like garbage day. I technically still miss the garbage people, but I took like three garbage bags worth of stuff out. Um, reorganized it, looks a lot better, but I'm down here and I'm getting all this stuff off the shelf. It's like a lot of shit. It's a lot. <laughs> okay. And all of a sudden he comes down and he is freaking out. I'm like, what is going on? I mean, tail between his legs, freaking out. And all of a sudden Gary's like, there's a fly in here. I'm like, okay, this dog is straight up a gangster any other time. He will fight you. And if there's a fence, that's the only thing. Like, he tries to fight my neighbor's dog. The one, it's like his daughter's dog. She instigates it a little bit because she will come to the fence because she knows, like, he's getting better. And then there's, he has another dog too. I think it's technically his other daughter's. His name's Hank. And he is such a nice dog. He doesn't like react at all at the fence. He does nothing. And Rory's like, rah, rah, rah. Um, but he is getting better and, and everything. But I'm telling you fly in the house game over shaking, panting. And I understand it's probably cause he can hear it and it's loud and it was a pretty loud fly, but Holy crap. I mean, I'm like, I'm on the floor and it's like in the corner of my basement where I'm kind of located and I'm like trapped because I have all this stuff around me. <laughs> and he's shaking in my lap, panting. And I'm like, I can't do anything. I can't clean. I can't organize anything. And then the fly would come downstairs. And he'd fly upstairs to my husband. And he'd come back down. Come back. And he was stressed. So I ended up finishing up my organization and, and kind of got up and was sitting on the couch. And, I mean, panting. And finally, thankfully, my husband got the fly. Um... RIP, but it was, he was a wreck and he slept very good last night and he was very happy to go for a walk this morning, but I'm exhausted because I was hoping to get a few, a couple more hours of sleep, but alas, I'm here earlier than normal, not recording on a Sunday morning, um, probably just as tired as I would have been on a Sunday morning, but it's all good. It's all good. We went for a walk early. It's supposed to be really hot here today, so I wouldn't have wanted to go for a walk later. So he's lucky because it was still like 
eight o'clock in the morning. It was 70 degrees already. And I ain't built for this. Like, I'm a summer baby through and through. But I am not made for the heat. I'd rather be able to have, like, a hoodie and sweatpants on, chilling, lounging. I don't, don't do the heat. Um, but, yeah, things are going pretty well. Uh, otherwise, besides flies ruining my dog's life, things are going well. Um, going to the doctor next week. Gary, hopefully he gets released. Doesn't have to wear his arm brace anymore after his surgery. So hopefully everything works out there. Um, but yeah, we've just been kind of hanging out. We, uh, started the new season of Umbrella Academy. Uh, it's great. We just finished, I think, I think it was the third episode. They did a wonderful job with Elliot Page's transition uh, from Vanya to Victor. So good. So spot on. They didn't make a huge deal out of it. But they, I think they did a good job. They did it justice. So I was really proud of that. Other things happening in America right now. I know I have some people that are not in the U.S. that listen. But um, the Supreme Court made a tragic decision to overturn Roe versus Wade yesterday. And I, <laughs> I, I've had a lot of feelings. I haven't really posted too much like on my social media about it because I just don't have the words and I truly believe that a man has no right to make a decision about my body and my husband is also very enraged and you know he was being very uplifting to me he's like I'd never make you make that choice it's your body and um I just I don't think I could make that choice for myself but that's like my personal story right we've struggled to get pregnant and for a long time now. And so that's something that I, something I want, but I don't think that like, if whatever the reason you don't want to keep, keep when you're pregnant, you don't want to keep it. I, it's none of my business is truly none of my business. And I want people to have safe, safe access to that kind of stuff. It's a medical procedure. It's healthcare. And, uh, it's tragic because I know people that have gotten an abortion and they got it in a safe way, but now I'm just, it's sad just know that people people are not going to have that ability anymore in a lot of states, in over like half of the United States. And I honestly don't have any other words. People need to mind their own damn business. And that's all I got to say. It's not, it's not ain't nobody's choice but the woman's choice. And uh, it's very unfortunate um, because a lot of marginalized communities are going to be forced to either have unsafe abortions and, or not have access and then have a child that they didn't want. It's going to end up in a system and or going to be poor and not have a good quality of life. And then it just kind of creates the system is just not good. And it's not in any way going to rebuild in the way that we need to. But and also, if you have a problem <laughs> With me, with me talking about this kind of stuff, you can unfollow. You don't have to listen to me. Um, I'm going to be honest about my, my feelings and my choices whenever something like this happens. And pretty much always, like, it's Pride Month. Hell yeah, let's go. Like, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So it's, and I'm sad to see because I know that this isn't the beginning. I mean, this is just the beginning. I know that shit's going to get worse. They're going to come after same-sex marriage. They're coming to come after interracial marriage, which I am in one. <laughs> and that's terrifying. They're going to come after contra uh, contraception. They're going to come after everything. And it's truly, truly, truly tragic. Because 
it's it's just like this kind of stuff is just nobody else's business and 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 i don't care what the bible says this is the, the world is different so we need to change stuff but like i said i've had eight minutes of words now about this but it's truly truly a sad day in america and I'm, I feel like I'm still processing it. It literally happened yesterday. My social media has blown up. I've seen so many people fighting. I've deleted several people that I'm quote unquote friends with on Facebook and that because true colors come out when this kind of stuff happens. True freaking colors, especially within since 2016. So, and w with January 6th last year. So <laughs> crap's crazy here in the U S um, guns have more rights than women do in this country and that's tragic yes moment of silence before we get to our actual information i don't really know how to do this but we're going to keep going because i know some of you are here to hear it listen to a story and this week i teased it, the episode a little bit that is going to be rough I'm just letting you know right now this woman, uh, Catherine Knight, is wild. She's from Australia, so this is like one of our first episodes um, that is not in America. So I'm excited to get started, and I look forward to your feedback after this episode and your thoughts. All right, let's get started. I, and I tried to get some more detail. I got some feedback from some people. People want more Uh and like I said, I do, I have a nine to five. So I do this like as a, as a side hustle kind of thing, even though I'm not like making any money, I'm just doing this for funsies because it's a cool outlet for me. And yeah, I'm going to work on getting more information. I definitely wrote some episodes, took some time because I had Monday off last week to investigate, do some better research. So Catherine Knight, she was born and raised in a, as most serial killers or murderers in a lot of situations dysfunctional families in very unconventional bad environment family environment her mom um her name is barbara married a man named jack um, they lived together in a small town called arbidine it's in the south new south wales hunter valley once again in it's in australia barbara and jack had four sons before barbara began uh cheating on on jack with a man named Ken Knight, a friend and co-worker of her then-husband. They were pretty well-known. Um, the both families were pretty well-known because it was a pretty conservative little rural town. And this affair was a major scandal. Catherine's father was an alcoholic who openly used violence and intimidation, uh, raped her mother, yeah, so Catherine's father is Ken. So that's get that's not Jack. They ended up getting they ended up having Catherine. So her dad was alcoholic, very violent, raped her mom up to ten times a day, and often told her daughters intimate details of her sex life and how much she hated to have sex with men. And later, um, Catherine complained to her mother that one of her partners wanted to take part in a sex act that she didn't want to do. And Barbara told her, just put up with it. Stop bitching, pretty much. Which kind of goes back to, to everything I started at the beginning of this episode. No! 
No, that is rape. Mm. So, Catherine Combe claimed she was frequently sexually abused by several members of her family, though not by her father, but she was being sexually abused by several other people, and that continued until she was 11 years old. Though they have some minor doubts with some of the details, psychiatrists uh, accept her claim that because all of her family members confirmed that the abuse did happen. Catherine, by all accounts, was a pleasant girl. You might, this might change your mind a little bit later in like 10, 15 minutes when I get into other stuff. Um, But she had like uncontrollable murderous rage. In like when something just minor happened. So she lost it when little things would happen, which you could say contribute was contributed by her early on abuse. She attended a muscle muswell Brook high school. She was a little bit of a loner and um, her classmates remembered her as kind of being a bully because she's a pretty big woman. She's very tall and she kind of just stood over the smaller children in, in the school. She assaulted at least one boy at school with a weapon and once injured a teacher who was found to have acted in self-defense. By contrast, when she was not losing it, she was a model student and often earned awards for her good behavior. But if something happened, she was going to lose it. So short fuse, we'll say that. So she left school, ended up leaving school at 15. Uh, She had not learned to read or write. And she had gained employment as a cutter in a clothing factory. But about a year later, she left the clothing factory to go to her dream job. This is, I, I don't know that many people whose dream job this is, but it's a dream job. Her dream job was cutting internal organs out of livestock. And then um, that was her, like, like her dream job. And then she was eventually eventually promoted into boning, which taking bones out and stuff. And she got her own set of butcher knives. At night, at home, she would hang the knives over her bed because it would always be handy if she needed them over her bed. So this is something that didn't just happen when this was when she was in the in the butcher cutting internal organs and bones and stuff out of livestock. She continued this wherever she went until she ended up getting incarcerated. So while working in this butcher shop, she met a main man named David, also a raging alcoholic, much like her father, who was prone to fistfights. She's used to this kind of violence, correct? So she she actually even surprised him because one time he got into a little scuffle at the bar. She joined in. She was not afraid. Once again, this is a pretty tall woman. And she got into a little bar fight with her, her bae. He soon uh, realized after this that she was capable of doing more than a little damage with her fists. And not long... After that, he found himself being dominated by her. And not in the kind of, like, S&M kind of situation that some men enjoy. This is not... He's not enjoying the domination. So in 1974, she convinced him to marry her. He was heavily intoxicated the entire time. 
And her mother, as soon as they had arrived, gave David some advice. Quote, you better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing, playing up on her or like cheating on her. She'll fucking kill you. And there, and that was her mother talking. She told, she told me she's got something loose. This is like David recalling what she had said. She got a screw loose somewhere. It's, it's true. It's, it's, it's true. Something, something was a little loose. So on their wedding night, Catherine and David consummated their marriage three times. When he had fallen asleep, Catherine wanted a fourth round. He's sleeping, though, right? They'd gone at it three times already. She was a little pissed that he was, he was tired. He was exhausted. So she started to strangle him, naturally, as one does on their wedding night. David woke up and fought her off. But, yeah, even though, you know, she tried to kill him on their very first day, they ended up staying together for 10 more years. But... It was far from perfect. David was very often a cheater and even left his wife and their two two daughters in the middle of the night. After discovering one of David's affairs, uh, Catherine placed their two-month-old infant on the local train tracks shortly before the train was due. (laughs) What? Oh my gosh. Train didn't come, thankfully, and the baby did not die. And she also threatened several people with a stolen axe. So once again, getting cheated on is not a minor upset, correct? I understand that. But she straight up put her baby on train tracks and was going to have the baby to die. And I'm sorry if that's a trigger warning. I should have put a a trigger warning before that. There's, I'm going to need to put some trigger warnings in before some of this stuff because it gets a little gross. Like I said, y'all ain't ready. You all are not ready. Votis. So, she was also diagnosed with postnatal postpartum depression. Um, after her, her witnesses, some, there some witnesses saw her violently pushing and swinging her second child in a stroller down a busy street. So, dealing with postpartum depression, which is a thing, um, she ended up spending a few months in a psych- psychiatric hospital um, and she told the nurses that she intended to kill a mechanic who had fixed David's car at some point because it made it possible for him to leave her. Despite the threat, David took Catherine back when she was released from the hospital. However, their reunion did not last long. And she went through like a very deep, depre- deep distress period situation and David did end up eventually leaving her after David there were a couple other toxic relationships in 1986 she met a minor named David so new David not the same David a few months later he moved in with her and her daughters though he had kept his old apartment right new relationship you ain't trying to like get rid of your stuff she ends up being pretty jealous about this because she doesn't know what he's doing when she's not around. She ended up throwing him out a couple of times. So then he'd move back to his apartment and then she'd inevitably follow him 
beg him to come back. In 87, a year later, uh, this is hard. Trigger warning, animal abuse. Trigger warning, animal abuse. This one was hard for me. <laughs> she cut the throat of his two-month-old dingo pup in front of him for no more reason than as an example of what would happen if he ever had an affair before going on to knock him unconscious with a frying pan. He killed her. She killed his dog as a threat. <laughs> Trigger warning, I'm sorry. In June 1988, she gave birth to a third daughter, Sarah. They ended up getting a house. Catherine decorated throughout with, naturally, animal skins, skulls, horns, rusty animal traps, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks. And this isn't just on the walls. It's ceiling. Also, traps, skins on the ceilings. Sounds like a house of horror. House of horror. And it could not be me. Could never be me. One time, not a great relationship. Once again, toxic relationship. One time they had a little argument. And naturally she hit him in the face with an iron. And then ended up stabbing him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. Because that's how fights happen. So he moved back and to Scone, where he was from. And when he later returned to uh, Aberdeen, she had cut up all of his clothes. He ended up taking a long service leave and went into hiding, as one should, because that's scary. Catherine tried to find him, but no one would say where he was. No one would admit to knowing where he was. Several months later, he returned to see his daughter that she he had with her and uh, found that Catherine had actually gone to the police and told them that she was afraid of him. And they got, and she ended up getting a restraining order against him. She stabbed him in the stomach with scissors because she was pissed and killed his dog. I don't know what red flag you need to hear, man. But these are all of them. All of them. I, I think that the rusty traps on your ceilings and the rakes and machetes and pitchforks, all red flags. Get the hell out. What? But I ain't a judge. Do your thing. Do your thing, boy. I don't know. But I would have been gone. A couple of years later, 1990, she became pregnant by a former slaughterhouse co-worker that she knew named John Chillingsworth ended up giving birth to the following year to a boy named Eric only lasted a couple years. And because she left him for a man, she had ended up having a affair with for some time named John Price. So she's got a thing for Davids and Johns go for it, I guess. So John or Pricey, that's what they called him. Pricey was a father of three children uh, when night or, you know, Catherine ended up having an affair with him. He was a great bloke, as they would say, quote, terrific bloke. Everybody liked him. Who knew him? His own marriage had failed in 1988 and his his one daughter had remained with his former wife and the two older children lived with him. 
John Price was well aware of Catherine's violent reputation. And, but she ended up still moving in to the house in 1995. His children liked her for the most part. He was making a lot of money working in the mines, apart from the violent uh, arguments. At first, life, bunch of roses. Things about to get less rosy. I'm just letting you know now. So, 98, they ended up having a fight because John Price did not want to marry her. And in retaliation, Catherine videotaped items he had stolen from work and sent the tape to his boss. The items were out-of-date medical kits that they had thrown away, and he just got them out of the garbage. He ended up being fired from this job that he had had for 17 years. Same day, he kicked her out, and she returned to her own home. But news got out that she did this, that this man lost his job because of her. A few months later, John Price restarted the relationship. Bad, bad idea. But she, he now refused to let her, you can't stay with me, pretty much. He was like, yo, we can get back to the relationship. You cannot, be, you cannot stay with me. Their fighting just continued to get worse. Uh, most of his friends um, pretty much didn't want anything to do with him because they remained together. They're right. They're just like, dude, this, this woman is crazy. You need to get out of this relationship. But they stayed together. And in February 20, 2000, almost at 2020, I'm not used to saying 2000, series of assaults uh, on John kind of ended up big surprise. She stabbed him in the chest. He kicked her out of his house, even though she was there, she kicked him out. Later on in February, he stopped by um, on his way to work and took out a a restraining order to keep her away from him and his children. That afternoon, foreshadowing, John told his coworkers that if he did not come into work the next day, it would be because Catherine had killed him. They pled with him to not go home and he told them that he believed she would kill his children if he did not. So John Price gets home to find Catherine, although not there herself, had sent the children away for a sleepover at a friend's house. He then spent the evening with his neighbors before going to bed about 11. Earlier that day, Catherine had bought some new black lingerie and videotaped all of her children while making comments which have since been interpreted as a will of sorts. So she has this fancy, nice new black lingerie and she's with her children, her children, essentially like saying some weird stuff, almost like her stating her own will. She ends up going home to John while he was sleeping, sat, watched TV for a couple minutes, then ended up having a shower. She woke John up and then they had sex and then he fell back asleep. Catherine then took a butcher's knife that was next to her bed. Remember, she liked to have these nice and close just in case. And she ended up stabbing John 37 times. And according to the blood evidence, he woke up and tried to run to turn the light on before attempting to escape while Catherine had chased him through the house. He managed to open the front door to get outside, but either stumbled back inside or was dragged back into the hallway where he finally died 
from bleeding out. So man fought. And in my opinion, more than likely, she dragged his ass back in, which is 100% right out of a horror movie. Like almost getting out and dragged back in. Terrifying. So casually, as one does after they murder their their boo, she ended up going into town with Drew $1,000. Or 1000 I don't know what they call them in Australia. 1000 monies from from John's ATM. Obviously, Catherine, she had hit most of his vital organs. So after he dies, right, she's pretty experienced in butchering animals, correct? As we remember from her dream job earlier on. Trigger warning. <laughs> this is the first episode we've had to do trigger warnings in. She used that experience she had to skin and dismember his body. She skinned him in one piece and hung it up from a meat hook that she had, because obviously everybody has a meat hook in their living room. She skinned his body and hung it up on a meat hook in her living room. After cutting his head off, decapitating him, she placed his head in a pot on her stove and cooked it with a variety of vegetables. Little John Price stew, as you might think. She roasted pieces of flesh in the oven and then placed the dish, which she served with vegetables, baked potatoes and gravy on the dining table. Reportedly, she had written some place cards for the children to sit uh, the adult children, Price's member, she, he has a couple of older children, which she set next to each meal. Their da- dad's body, they put him there. Later, uh, authorities did end up finding out that portions of John's cooked buttocks was in the backyard, leading to think that, leading them to think that Catherine had engaged in some cannibalism before tossing the remains outside to her dogs to eat. So John didn't end up coming to work the next day, as he feared and his co-workers had feared would happen. So his supervisor sent someone over to the house he shared with Catherine to check up on his well-being. Immediately, the co-worker, remember he stumbled on the porch or something, the front area, blood. He saw the blood on that, house, on that area in that front door contacted authorities immediately. So officers arrive, they force the door open. They discover Catherine in a coma-like state up after taking some pills in an effort to end her own life. They rushed her to the hospital for medical treatment and she eventually recovered. I would say, unfortunately, but fortunately because she gets to rot in jail versus taking her life. They asked Catherine if she had killed her boyfriend, and she apparently had no recollection of the events. You know, just casually killing someone, decapitating and skinning them, no memory. So all things, all things horrible, right? They find the skinned body horrified. There are accounts from different police officers and stuff that it was one of the worst crime scenes they'd ever seen. 
it was very bad. So initially she had offered to plead guilty to manslaughter. That was rejected. And she was arraigned um, March 2nd of 2001 on the charge of murdering John, which she entered a plea of not guilty. She ended up going into her uh, trial in, um, initially it was supposed to be in July of 2001, but um, had to be adjourned because her counsel had been uh, sick and it was redone or restarted in October of 2001. When the trial commenced, the Justice Barry O'Keefe offered 60 jury prospects the option of being excused. So, hey, you're going to be on the jury for this. Just want you to know because there's the pictures are rough. Only five people accepted. So people really wanted to be involved in this. When the witness list was read out to the prospects, several more also dropped out, after which the jury was impaneled. So final. So Catherine's attorney spoke to the judge who adjourned the following day. Next day, Catherine actually ends up changing her plea to guilty and jury was dismissed, pretty much saving them from some pretty horrific pictures and that. Uh, it was then made public that Justice O'Keefe had been advised of the plea change the day before. He'd adjourned the trial and then ordered a psychiatric assessment overnight to be sure that Catherine understood the consequences of what a guilty plea meant and that she was fit to make that plea. Knight's or Catherine's legal time had planned to defend Knight by claiming amnesia and disassociation, a claim that was supported by a lot of several psychiatrists, um, but they did consider her to be sane. Um, two psychiatrists concluded that Knight suffered from borderline personality disorder. No reason ever has ever been given for the guilty plea, but despite just giving it, Catherine has never accepted her responsibility for her actions. At her hearing, Catherine accept, uh, lawyers requested that she be excused to avoid hearing some of the facts. This application was refused. Like, if you're going to commit the crime, you're going to hear about it. So they made her listen. When Timothy Lyons took the stand and described the skinning and decapitation she became hysterical and had to be sedated. Woman, you did it. You skinned and decapitated this man and was about to feed him to his children. So, something, something not right about this woman. November, Justice O'Keefe pointed out the nature of the crime and Catherine's overall lack of remorse required a very severe penalty. He sentenced her to life imprisonment refused to fix a non-parole period in order that her papers be marked never to be released. This is the first person, first woman, that this has ever been imposed on in Australian history. They were like, nah, she out. No, thank you. In 2006, she appealed her life sentence claiming that the penalty of life in prison without possibility of control was too severe for the killing. Justices Peter McNeil, Michael Adams, and Megan Latham dismissed the appeal in the New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal in September with 
Judge or Justice McClellan writing in his judgment. This was an appalling crime, almost beyond completion in a civilized society. So, yeah. Horrible woman. Horrible woman. She should stay in prison forever and ever and ever. Plus, ever and ever and ever and ever. Plus, ever. Forever. Ever, ever. Wicked. Man, she... Dream job. Being a butch- in a butcher's place. to Cutting internal organs. And then ended up wanting being bones in the boning area. Tried to kill her husband. Her first husband. First night. Because she didn't, he didn't want to do it a fourth time. Kill the dog. In front of a man. As a threat. Just in case, hey, you don't do nothing. Then ends up killing a man. And skinning and decapitating him. And trying to feed him, cooked his body. And tried to feed him to his dog. And, and, and feed it to his children. And ended up feeding some of his body to her dogs. And probably ate some of it. I told you all, you aren't ready. The first time I ever heard about this case, I was like, ain't no way. Like, screw loose. Once again, horrible upbringing. But there's a lot of people that have horrible upbringings that don't end up skinning it to decapitating. And, 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 uh, yeah. Crazy. Crazy. But I do thank you for getting through this episode. I know it's tough. I do appreciate the feedback that I've been getting. I'm hoping that this is a little bit more detailed as you guys would like. This is probably my longest episode yet. Um, but I tried to get as much detail as I could. If you have any suggestions uh, about stories, cases, let me know. Uh, all my source materials are in the show notes. Please subscribe and rate and do all of the cool things so that a podcast continue to grow. We're at 182 downloads. So hopefully next week we're over 200 downloads, which would be lit. Uh, we'll see you guys next Sunday. Uh, be sure to check me out on my socials. Uh, Instagram is at crime obsessed dog mom, Twitter at CO dog mom podcast, TikTok at CO uh, dog mom podcast. I had a TikTok earlier this week. I don't know what happened. Audio, auto, audio, autocorrect did me dirty, but you should just be able to search as always crime obsessed dog mom and find me pretty easily. Um, thank you again. I appreciate your support. Remember you can DM me on any of those things too. If you have ideas uh, or want, want to chat, that would be great. Uh, until next week, stay true crime obsessed, love on your animals and be kind. And I'll talk to y'all next week. <laughs>